want to welcome you. If you're watching online, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, Jeff's wife is, uh, he's married to Tina, who's our women's ministry director. They're in Minnesota, so I'm assuming she's watching. So if you're in Minnesota tuning in, welcome. Go Vikings. Got to say it. Got to say it. Sorry. Um, Hey, welcome to church. We are so glad you're here. If you're new with us, thank you for coming to check us out. We know coming to a new church can be very intimidating. If you're watching online and you're new with us, thank you for tuning in. We are glad that you're here. I want to share something. It's a great morning. Wasn't that great worship? Oh my gosh, he is, he is for you. He's for you. I could listen to that song a thousand times. So good. Um, it's just great. We come together. We had communion today. We saw baptisms uh, that we get to get, get into God's word. This is great stuff. I want to read for you a letter that I received this week from a pastor in Kenya. Now, we have a gal in our church. Her name's Maxine. And I'm not even kidding. Her last name is Amen. Amen. Maxine, Amen. And I don't know if she's in here. Is Maxine in here? She was in, she goes to first service. She was in first service. But she, um, a while back, um, she went on a mission trip. We supported her. We blessed her. You guys supported her. And I got a letter from the pastor, and I won't read it. It's kind of long in, in broken English, but I want to read one part. Here's what he said. After receiving the visitor that was our sister, Maxine, we were nine members. That was on the first Sunday. But after doing evangelism, and if you know Maxine, she does evangelism. After doing evangelism on Friday before the travel back, we counted about 27 members. And on Sunday, we received 22 new members. And from that time, our church is growing tremendously. Last Sunday, we were 43 members. Sister Maxine is always praying for our spiritual growth. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Amen. Um. She, Maxine, actually came to me last week with her phone, and she goes, I want to show you something. And it was a picture of this pastor, and they live stream our serve, this service. They're live streaming it in Kenya. So that's amazing. Um, so that's the influence that we have. Um, God is doing great things in and through this church. Thank you for your generosity, your support. Um, God, just, God is awesome. So, well, uh, if you are new with us, it is a good day to be here. It's good and bad. I got to tell you one thing. In your sermon notes and all the slides... Everything says 1 Thessalonians. Yeah, we're starting a series on 2 Thessalonians today. I don't know how that happened. I really don't. I, I'm not even kidding. I think when we, because I transfer, I build these things. I even build all my own PowerPoint slides, and I send them to Andy, who's, who runs this, because he packs them and fixes them, and he proofs them. We send them to Karen. Karen proofs everything. So this goes through a series of people before you ever see this or that. And I don't know how this happened. Um, it happened, it seems like every Sunday when we transfer these documents, things get changed. So either the computer's doing it or somebody's playing with me, and I don't know who it is. But if I find out, <laughs> I'm just kidding, just kidding. But everything says 1 Thessalonians, so just don't be confused on that. Um, earlier this summer, we did a series. I, did, I took us through 1 Thessalonians and with the promise that we'd get through 2 Thessalonians. And that promise is coming true today because we are starting this series. It's going to be powerful and awesome. I don't have it on the back screen, if we can get it back there. I've entitled this, The Man of Lawlessness and the Return of Christ. And that is because when we get into chapter two, we are getting into one of the most mysterious chapters in the Bible, where we learn about this man of lawlessness, the restrainer, the one that is restraining him will restrain him until he's taken out of the way, whoever that is. Uh, so it should be an interesting study uh, for sure. And I uh, just want to encourage you to get the word out. And if you miss any of these messages, of course, you can catch up or stay in tune online. So in way of review, so that we're all on the same page, and this is going back to the first Thessalonians series that I did at the beginning of summer, I want to bring us up to speed and just get us all on the same page on a couple of important things. Thessalonica, 
the city of Thessalonica was the largest and most important city in the Roman province of Macedonia. Now, that's a map I put up there. It's really hard to see. It's kind of washed out. I apologize. But you can see all the main words. There's Thessalonica. It's right there where modern-day Greece is. Um, anybody been to Greece? Yes, a lot of you have been to Greece. I've been to Greece. I've uh, been to Corinth, which is just down there. And um, there's Thessalonica. Um, and it was, the, it was the most important city in Macedonia in the Roman Empire. And that was because there was 200,000 people there, and it was located upon a superhighway. And that superhighway was called the Ignatian Way or the Ignatian Road. And so because that city was located on that superhighway, and it had many people in the city, and it was on this highway, it was prominent. It was a prominent city for sure. One scholar put it this way, it is impossible to overstress the importance of the arrival of Christianity in Thessalonica. If Christianity was settled there, it was bound to spread east along the Ignatian Road until Asia was conquered and west until it stormed even the city of Rome. Incredible. Incredible. The Apostle Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, literally, I shouldn't even just say the Apostle Paul, the disciples. The disciples in one generation turned the Roman Empire on his head. That's what the gospel does. That's what missionaries do. They change lives. Maxine going to Kenya and saying, uh, there was, I didn't even read the whole letter. The, 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 the people that were in his church was his wife. His, it, was just a, it was a small group of people of mostly family members. Maxine shows up and what happens? Gospel goes out, people start coming. Same thing happened in the first century with the Apostle Paul. Interestingly enough, Thessalonica is one of the few cities that the Apostle Paul visited that has existed continuously to this very day. It's now called Thessaloniki. And um, I mentioned in the, this in the first series in, the, in First Thessalonians, um, it pray, played a prominent um, part in the expansion of the uh, Ottoman, Ottoman Empire, as well as the Nazis captured it in 1941. Hitler uh, deported 60,000 Jews, killed them. It was just, hor you know, so this city is a big deal. It's, it's, a, it, it's, it's played a prominent role, not just in the first century, but down through world history. And... Um, so it's just fascinating. Now, you might remember that no sooner than the Apostle Paul arrived, he preached the gospel, people got saved, but persecution arose. It arose instantly. If you want to read about Paul planting the church in the city, you can read about it in Acts chapter 17. But here's what it says. Paul gets there, he preaches the gospel, people are getting saved, and it says this. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men from the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And it was because of this immediate persecution that Paul and Silas left the city. We read about this just a few verses later. It says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Berea. They end up going to Berea or the Bereans. You know, the Bereans. The Bereans were a more noble character. They searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. That's where he went. He left Thessalonica, I don't think because he was afraid of the persecution, but simply by getting out of there, hopefully it would calm things down some. It would calm the Jews down. It would calm people down if Paul and Silas got out of there. So they did. But here's the deal. Even after they left, there was still persecution that this young church faced. There was no honeymoon for them. They came to faith and immediately found themselves in the midst of a storm. They came to faith and were in a storm. Now, many of us in this room, when you came to faith, when I came to faith, there was no storm. Praise God. I came to faith and there was a honeymoon. But not all of us have that privilege. 
Even in this room, there are some of you that came to faith and you immediately faced storms of persecution, whether it be from your family or friends or other people. You, you, you can identify with this. Others of us, we can't. We had the blessing of a honeymoon, but they didn't. Now, it's a funny thing about storms. Storms have a really good way of revealing what things are made of, right? And there's no better example for you and me, at least, than these guys right here. Monsoons, right? Monsoons will reveal what things are made of. The day after Arizona monsoon, anything on your property that wasn't secured is either somewhere else on your property or on someone else's property, right? We've all seen the, if you've watched the news here, you've seen the, there's plenty of them that happens every summer where the trampolines just get up and they fly away. And they end up in some kid's yard who'd been praying for a trampoline and out of (laughs) heaven falls a trampoline. It's like manna from heaven, but it's a trampoline. Lord, you answer prayers. Now, we're not the only ones. Uh, we face monsoons. There's something worse than monsoons, and those are hurricanes. And they, we've seen them hit Hurricane Katrina, and these others hit uh, New Orleans and the Gulf Coast. Um, these, the structures there are built to be solid and to survive hurricanes. But we've seen those buildings, even when buildings are built strong, we've seen buildings break apart, fall apart, blow away as if they were made out of cardboard. And that's because storms have a way of revealing what things are made of. Storms have a, are the great revealer of that which is shaky versus that which is solid. And here's why that's important, folks. Because as the book of 2 Thessalonians opens, we are introduced or reintroduced to a very young group of believers who are remaining incredibly strong, incredibly solid, even in the midst of a very severe storm, a storm of persecution, physical persecution. So church, it's my honor to take us to the word of God today. And if you're at home, hopefully you can see this. We'll be in 2 Thessalonians (laughs) chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. That part's right. But church, hear the word of God today. Paul Silvanus, also Silas, that's the name of Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, We ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Amen. Again, church, I present to you the word of God today. So, The storms that believers face come in all shapes and sizes. Everyone in here can attest to that. There are some of you in here right now that are facing storms. And there are others of you facing different storms. Storms come in all shapes and sizes. The early church faced everything from physical persecution to extreme economic hardship. Many of them lost their property. Others of them lost their lives. Some were kicked out of the temple. Others were excommunicated from their own families. Storms come in all shapes and sizes, and that's important. Why? Because the church today is facing multiple storms on multiple fronts. Storms 
storms, the likes of which we have not seen before, with really strong hurricane-type winds. One storm that has come upon the church is the radical redefinition of marriage, right? That's a storm that has been battering the church. And we're seeing churches being blown away as if they're made out of cardboard. Another storm has come from a different direction and it is now calling into question if there are really two genders, as the Bible teaches. <clears throat> and that storm has battered the church. Folks, <clears throat> this generation, the church today, is facing storms that other generations couldn't have even dreamed would be storms. But we are facing them. The redefinition of marriage, the redefinition of gender, the whole woke movement. There are storms battering the church. And that's important because the first five chapters of the book of 2 Thessalonians would be easy to overlook. But folks, they are incredibly important for you and me. Because here we see a young group of believers standing strong in the midst of, in the midst of really powerful, strong storms. Folks, if they can do it, we can do it. Amen? If they can do it, we can do it as well. Now, as already stated, the storms that they were facing was that of persecution. Yet, despite everything, they're solid. They were remaining solid. And they remain solid, according to Paul, in a couple of key areas. So, for example, let's get into our text today. Paul says this, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And that's important, and here's why. Because the Thessalonians' faith had grown not only despite the persecution they were facing, but because of the persecution they were facing. And that is because persecution not only exposes false faith, but also refines those who have true faith. How do I know that? Because our Savior said as much. In Matthew 13, Jesus said it this way in the parable of the sowers. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises, storms, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. On the opposite end, the apostle Peter highlights how persecution refines the faith and those that are true believers. Peter says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Folks, the Thessalonians had true saving faith, and it was growing. And this is very important. Listen to me very carefully. While the storms they were facing were certainly difficult, it is difficult to experience physical persecution. It is difficult to lose your possessions in the name of Christ. While the storms they were facing were certainly difficult, they were not to be feared. And that same truth applies to us in this generation. There are storms battering the church today. And they've made things difficult, but they are not to be feared. And do you want to know why? Because when God begins a good work in a person, he carries it on to completion. Amen? The storms that we are facing might be difficult, but they are not to be feared because our God works all things for the good of those who love him. And he is refining the church in this generation just as he did 2,000 years ago in the city of Thessalonica. 
He is making us a beautiful bride, sold out for him, hearts that are wholly devoted to him in every way. This is what God is doing in this generation. He did it here in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, and he is every bit as much at work today as he was then. And folks, there might be more storms on the horizon. As a matter of fact, I can almost guarantee you there are. They're coming. They're coming. The storms that are coming may make the storms that we're facing right now look like, you know, nothing. Who knows? I don't know what the storms that are coming are going to do to this country or to this world. But I know for those of us who are part of the body of Christ, they might be difficult, but they are not to be feared. God's going to use them to refine us and to make us more sold out, more on fire, more in love with him, with hearts wholly devoted to him, people who are investing in the kingdom of God, investing in the things above. Amen? Is this what you want for yourselves? You guys, the days are short. You realize our lives are short. Psalm 90, 12, teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Our time is limited. We live in perhaps the most distracting time in world history, in the most distracting country in the world, with all the toys, all the bells, all the whistles, all the wealth. It would be easy for the bride of Christ in this generation, in this country, to be fully distracted. And yet here have come storms. And we can praise God in the midst of the storm, can't we? Because God does awesome things in the midst of storms, people. They might be difficult, but they are not to be feared. And not just, not just for the church. By the way, that applies to you as an individual. James chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you are mature and complete, not lacking anything. The storms you face might be difficult, but they are not to be feared. God is doing an awesome work in your life in that moment. You believe it. We might be tempted to panic. There are many in this country that are panicking. But those of us that are in the church need to be praising. Amen? We need to be praising God. The people of this world need to look at the church as it is being battered by storms and see something different. And what they should be seeing are people who are praising God in the midst of the storm. Because the world doesn't do that. When storms come to the world, it panics. It does all sorts of crazy things. But when, the ch when they look at us, those of us in the church, they should see us praising our God in the midst of storms, knowing that he is refining us and making us beautiful. As God has sifted the church, sifted the church over the past couple of years, I would argue that the church today is stronger than it was 24 months ago, two years ago, even 12 months ago. We might be fewer in numbers, that is the church in general. Post-pandemic numbers for churches are down, but I would argue that those that are there are stronger in faith. Would you agree with me? Now, not only were they growing in their faith, let's go back to our passage. Paul says this, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for another is increasing. This too was another sure sign that the Thessalonians were in possession of true saving faith, right? First John, the person who says, I hate my brother, uh, is a liar and does not know the truth. He's not in the truth. 
True Christians love Christians. They love being around Christians. They love being around their fellow family. When Jesus' blood brothers, his family came to him, what did he say? He goes, who are my mother and my brother? Those that obey and do the will of God. Here is a group of people being persecuted. Literally, they were living life. Here comes the Apostle Paul. He preaches the gospel. They respond in faith, and now they're persecuted. You would think this young group of people would scatter to the winds, but they don't. They remain rock solid. In the midst of a storm of persecution, Paul and Silas have to leave, and yet they remain rock solid. They had each other's backs. They served one another, carrying each other's burdens, sacrificing in the midst of the storm. Jeff was just up here. He did communion. What did he say that Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed? He washed his disciples' feet. The Thessalonians were washing each other's feet in the midst of a storm. Who does that? Who, when things are hard, takes on the role of a servant and ministers to other? I'll tell you who does that. Christians do that. When storms batter the world, you know what the people of the world do? They look out for themselves, not the church. When the storms batter the church, we have each other's backs. Amen? We care for one another. We carry each other's burdens. We minister to one another. This is what the church does. When the world is being, when there's storms everywhere, when the world is in chaos and the, and the world looks at us, guys, they should see something different. They should see people praising God in the midst of the storm, serving each other, washing each other's feet in the midst of the storm. And no matter how badly the church is battered by these storms, we remain solid. That's what's going to change this world. That's what's going to change this generation. Not better politics, not better education. There's going to be Christians whose hearts are fully and wholly devoted to the Lord in every way, serving him and proclaiming the gospel. That's what's going to change this generation, folks. That's what's going to change the people that you know that are watching you. Your politics are going to offend them. But your servanthood in the midst of a storm to your fellow brothers and sisters is going to inspire them. Storms normally pull things apart, but it only drove the Thessalonians together. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a love, by the way. It wasn't a fuzzy, emotional love. It was a love based upon their common bond in Christ. Now, it was because of this that the Apostle Paul says this in our passage. 2 Thessalonians 1.4. <laughs> Therefore, we ourselves boast. I should have underlined that and made it yellow. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and faith in all your persecution and the afflictions that you are enduring. This was a church of which Paul was very proud, which is all the more impressive when you consider this church was so very young. I mean, think about this, you guys. They came to faith, Paul had to flee the city, and they stood their ground. See, the Paul, they, I don't think they had any clue totally what was going on. And so Paul had to give them some insight. He had to write to them and explain to them what was going on. And here's what he wrote to them. What he wrote to them was that God was purifying them and making them worthy of the kingdom for which they were receiving, which he says in our text today. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Judgment first begins with the household of God. Hebrews chapter 12, God disciplines his children. He does not discipline those that aren't his children. If you're never disciplined by God, you're an illegitimate child, according to Hebrews chapter 12. 
This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. When God brings affliction and difficulty into your life to refine you as a believer, that is evidence of God's righteous judgment. God never makes bad judgment. So when he does that to you, he knows what he's doing and he's making a right judgment in that moment. You might go, this makes no sense to me. Just know that God's being righteous in his judgment in that moment. Amen? This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Now, why is that important for us today? Let's go back to this. The church in this generation has not only been hit with some pretty severe storms lately, we might want to prepare ourselves because things could get worse. And like I said, things could get a lot worse. Um, I don't know where things are headed. Nobody does. I don't know what is going to happen to this country, and I don't know what's going to happen in this world, but I do know this. If difficult times are coming, they might be difficult, but they are not to be feared if you're part of the church, if you're part of the bride of Christ. As a result of the recent storms, we've seen, tragically, many churches, entire denominations fall away. This is what we've seen over the last two to three years just in this country. As the pressure to conform to society's strengths, Pressure, as the pressure to conform to society standards has grown stronger, churches have caved. Churches and denominations have caved. They've broken apart, fallen apart. They've blown away as if made out of cardboard. Those churches, all the world asks is just bow a knee. Just bow a knee to what we're saying. Take a knee, submit to us, and you will have our stamp of approval. That's what you get when you compromise with the world. You get their stamp of approval, but it's not worth it. Listen, folks, Paul had zero, zero concern if the first century church was well-liked or socially relevant or culturally significant. He didn't care about any of those things. What he cared about was a church that remained faithful to the Lord no matter what storms were battering it, amen? It did, it did not matter to him if they were well-liked or socially relevant or culturally significant, and the same applies to you and I as individuals. What God is looking for in your life, in my life, and in the life of this church is faithfulness. And I can't stress that enough, you guys. It has been lost. In, it, for Christians in this generation, we have lost what God wants from us. He wants faithfulness. He wants a bride whose heart is wholly devoted to him in every way. Amen? This is what God wants. He doesn't need anything from us, but he delights when his people remain obedient and faithful, no matter what is happening in the world, no matter how bad the storms are battering the front door. A church and Christians who remain faithful. Paul boasted about this type of church. Do you want to know what type of church Paul would have boasted in? If he were alive today, this little church in Kenya that's only 47 people strong, ministering in one of the poorest parts of the world, but faithfully ministering. It's this type of church I'm quite confident that he would be proud of, Paul would boast in. Do you want to know what's fascinating, by the way? Do you know where Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians? He wrote it, let me go back to this map. He wrote it in Corinth. Um, which is in Macedonia, which uh, I have it up there if you can kind of see it. I've been to Greece, um, didn't get to Thessalonica, I did get to Corinth. But Paul wrote it from Corinth, which ironically was the site of one of Paul's most spiritually immature and troubled churches. 
So he wrote to a young church of believers that were barely born again in Christ, and he's saying, I'm boasting in you. I boast, I'm boasting around the Roman Empire because of you, but I'm writing it from a place where the people are crazy. <laughs> the contrast between these two churches, it, it's, it's, it's laughable, but it's, it's so utterly serious. It, but they can't be lost on this generation, folks. There is absolutely nothing more serious than the purity and holiness of the bride of Christ. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that for yourself. Many of you are fighting the good fight of faith in your families or fighting the good fight of faith at your places of work or with your family or with a, whatever group of people that you roll with. You're fighting the good fight of faith. And the pressure for you to bow the knee, to conform to whatever standards the world is pressing down on you or they are pressing down on you, folks, do not budge. You may bow the knee and get temporary praise from those people, but how much better to receive the praise from our Father and people like the Apostle Paul. The churches and denominations that are going to remain faithful in the days, weeks, and years ahead must decide now, folks, who are we going to please, God or men? That's what it comes down to. And the truth applies to us as individuals. If you and I are going to remain steadfast in the days, weeks, and years ahead, we must, we must decide now, are we going to serve God or serve men? Are we going to live for the praise of the people of this generation? Their voices are strong. Society's voices are strong. And if you don't bow the knee, you run the risk of being canceled. And that's a big deal. Because that could mean for some of you losing your job, losing your livelihood, losing your home, losing your possessions, just like the early church did. The pressure to bow the knee is strong. And boy, if you just bow that knee, man, they'll finally, they'll do what you've been, oh, it's just so tempting, yes, Yes, I did it. Now give me some adoration. Give me some love. But folks, don't bow the knees. We must decide now who we want to please, God or men. By the way, do you want to know the impact that a few faithful Christians can have? God doesn't need a big church. God doesn't, God doesn't need anything. Remember in the Old Testament, I think it was with, was it with Gideon, where there, Gideon had 33. 3,000 men, and God whittled it down to 300 people, and he says, with these 300 men, I will defeat the enemy. God doesn't need anything, but the impact that a few faithful Christians can have is incredible. This small group of new believers in Thessalonica could probably never have imagined that their faithfulness in the midst of the storm would serve not only as a source of encouragement around the Roman Empire as Paul went from city to city talking about their faith, but right on down through church history, and here we are talking about them today. That is the difference that a few faithful Christians can make. You do not have to be a believer a long time. You don't have to have a super strong faith. But if you are a believer in Christ, if you will remain faithful, God will do great things through your life. He'll do great things in and through your life with those that are watching, your family, your friends, those that are in your company. Whoever it is that has their eyes on you will be transformed when they see you walking in faith, praising God in the midst of the storms. When the world is running around crazy because the world is falling apart, you are going to be an anchor. You are going to be steadfast, praising God in the midst of the storm, and you are going to stand out. You are going to stand out, and they're going to go, what is it about you that is so different? You have morals, you have integrity, you don't budge. 
You praise God no matter what's going on in your life. It may be difficult, but you never panic. And you can tell them about the God that you serve. Now, you may feel like your faithfulness in this generation and in your family and in your places of work is going unnoticed or unappreciated. Maybe you, don't, you feel like you're not having any lasting impact on anyone. If you're here today and you feel like, I don't know that I'm really having an impact on anyone. I'm being faithful to the Lord, but I'm not sure anybody's watching. Here's the deal. The reason you think that way is because you think like I think. <laughs> and that is you think from a worldly perspective. I am constantly judging my life from a worldly perspective. Imagine the Thessalonians in the first century. Paul leaves. They're remaining faithful, but they're being persecuted. They're losing possessions. They're being persecuted, probably physically, emotionally, spiritually. They probably were wondering, what impact are we, what, what's the point of this? Little did they know the Apostle Paul was running around the Roman Empire boasting about them and that they were going to impact countless millions upon millions of gener- uh, Christians down through the uh, world history. Little did they know. Listen, from a worldly perspective, Jesus' own life looked like a failure to many in the first century. Here was a man who was basically homeless, kept saying things that drove people away. His disciples ultimately abandoned him. He was arrested, beaten, died on a cross between two criminals, no less. By all worldly standards in the first century, this man failed. And yet he divided. This, was, this single solitary man divided world history right down the middle, right? A.D. and B.C., not B.C.E. Are you with me? Let's not do that. Before common era, forget it. Before Christ and A.D., Anno Domini, Latin, in the year of our Lord. B.C. and A.D. Folks, when we are deciding who it is we want to please, God or men, we are doing what the Thessalonians did. We are keeping the main thing the main thing. And that's what needs to happen. The Thessalonians, I'm sure, had a lot to distract them. They were in the most important city in Macedonia, in the Roman Empire, a city along the Ignatian Road. I guarantee you, you know what was going on in the city? There was politics in the city. There was educational issues in the city. There was all sorts of stuff happening in the city like that. All sorts of things that could distract them, but they didn't get distracted. They kept the main thing the main thing. They served God in the midst of a storm and got distracted by nothing. Folks, that's the same for us in this generation. We must decide who we're going to serve, and we must keep the main thing the main thing. Listen, I'm telling you, we are living in the most distracting time, I would argue, in world history, in the most distracting place that you could be at this moment in the United States. With all the bells, all the toys, all the money, all the wealth, there's nothing more distracting about this generation, and there's nothing more distracting about where we are. If ever there were a group of people that when they get to heaven could say, hey, we have an excuse for being distracted. We lived in America in the 21st century. It would be us, but let's not let it happen. Amen? Let's not let it happen. Let's not get distracted. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And when the storms batter us, let's remain faithful. Let's praise God in the midst of the storms. And let's not bow the knee. You don't budge. You make no excuses for being a believer in this generation. Folks, if it costs you everything, you praise God because blessed are you. Great is your reward in heaven. And I said it before, I'll say it again. Some of us, might be counted worthy enough to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. You will enter heaven as martyrs. Wouldn't that be awesome? I don't think, I think most Christians, the idea of martyrdom never crosses our mind. It should, folks. No greater love than this than when one man lays his life down for another. You would be so blessed to enter heaven. To have that on your spiritual resume for all eternity, that's awesome. 
And there is some sense of knowing who martyrs are because as you read the book of Revelation, it says, I saw those that had been beheaded under the altar saying, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Um, I, I do think that there, and this is a whole other subject, but you talk about rewards in heaven. Are there degrees of punishment for those that are going to hell? You bet there are. And are there degrees of reward for those of us going to heaven? You bet there are. And that's a whole other discussion. But um, I do think those that have been beheaded and laid down their life for the sake of the gospel are going to be honored in the days to come. Okay, I'm going to finish with this. I got to finish. Do you want to know how easy it is for a church to lose its way? Consider this. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he wrote the book of Ephesians. If you read the book of Ephesians, it's an it's amazing book about an amazing group of believers that were doing awesome things. But within 30 years of writing that letter, do you know what the Apostle John wrote to the church at Ephesus? He wrote this. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. Sounds like an amazing church. It is. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Good for you. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You are no longer keeping the main thing, the main thing. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, you want to know how serious the purity of the bride of Christ is? This is how serious it is. This is what God says to them if they do not repent. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand. I will wipe your church. I will wipe this church off the face of the planet unless you repent. That's how serious it is that the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, have a pure heart in this generation. Folks, if a ragtag group of people in the first century could remain faithful in the midst of the storms, new believers, we can do it in this generation. Amen? God in us is stronger than he or anything that is against us. Folks, it's our turn. Your feet, my feet were set in this generation for a reason. You do understand that. There's no accident why you are here right now in the 21st century. You do understand that you were born into the family that you were born into. You have the skill sets that you have. Everything about you has been given to you by God and you've been set in this generation for a reason. Don't lose sight of why he has put you here. He has put you here to be faithful and to stand your ground and to proclaim his name even in the midst of the storms, proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. And if it costs you everything, praise God because you're gonna enter heaven and rich. Folks, give your lives away while you can because the days are short. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you. And God, we could easily skip over these first five verses. And yet we see a faithful group of people in the first century, young believers without their spiritual leader, standing strong in the midst of a storm. Don't know how they did it. They did it because of you, Lord. But Lord, we know that you are every bit as much as work today as you were back then. God, the church is being battered by storms. And Lord, as we look out on the horizon, we see more storms forming and who knows what's coming. It could get a lot worse. I pray, Lord, right now that we would be a people that resolve to serve you no matter the cost to us. God, if it means that we're homeless living under a bridge, but we're faithful to you, praise God, so be it. If it means, God, that we lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel, Lord, we count ourselves blessed because great is our reward in heaven. God, may we hold the things of this world loosely. Let us run the race with an eternal perspective you set before us. God, the days are short. As it says in Psalm 90, 12, teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Help us run with the finish line in mind. Help us to be bold and courageous.
Lord, the righteous are as bold as lions. May we be lions in this generation. We love you. We thank you. And the body of Christ said with me, amen. We'll see you right here next week. God bless. Thanks for, the, for those of you online. God bless.